We were having a um, Bible study Wednesday with several leaders, and uh, and I read this verse. And when I read it, you know, when the Holy Spirit's trying to really illuminate something to you, it just stands out. And uh, as I was reading this to the men, I just kind of stopped and I said, "Wow, you know that it just the Holy Spirit was just." you know, really, really opening that scripture up. And then when we finished, I said, hey, does anybody have anything to add to this or anything they'd like to have a question or comment? And uh, one of the men, Jason, said, uh, man, this is where we're at. And uh, it really confirmed in my spirit what I felt when my heart leapt because I could see it leaping off the page to me. So let's read it together. Deuteronomy 1, 6-8 says, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, Horeb is, by the way, Mount Sinai area there. That's They call it Horeb, Mount Horeb, or um, Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were delivered to Moses and where they camped out for a year in that area while God was revealing himself to his people. So the Lord said to us in Horeb, You have dwelt long enough on this mountain. You have lived too long on this mountain. Some of your versions say you've circled this mountain long enough. How many have ever circled a mountain for way too long? And God's speaking to not just a few, but this is all of us. God doesn't want us circling mountains. He'll tell us when it's time to move on and we've been there too long. It said, you have dwelt long enough on this mountain. Turn, take up your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites. To all their neighbors in Arabah in the hill country, in the lowland, in the south, and in the coast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, so far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and to their descendants. That's us. After them, let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, I pray that your word would be life, Lord God. Oh, Father, inject your spirit into us, Lord God. Father, let your spirit walk up and down these aisles and breathe life into our lives, Lord God. Father, let it rise up in us, Lord God, the victory that you've already purchased for your people, Lord. Let us walk in it, Lord. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. So these people in Deuteronomy, this is the end of Moses' life. Moses has been, was 40 years old, and then God had called him to deliver his people. He sent him to the backside of the desert for 40 years. And then God sent him back and he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. And for 40 years he led them in the wilderness. And in that 40 years, this is the end of it. Okay, sitting in Deuteronomy, and in Deuteronomy, one whole generation, now listen to me, one whole generation died in the wilderness. 600 and some thousand people died in the wilderness and would not enter in. God wasn't very happy. They wouldn't enter in. And these other ones, he called babes in the wilderness, babies in the wilderness, children in the wilderness. And he said, that whole generation will go in. And so everybody in the old generation, including Moses, could not enter the promised land. And the new generation only included two people. And that was Joshua, which the Bible says Joshua caused them to inherit the land by his spirit. Because he wanted to go and he wanted and he was ready to take the land. 
And Caleb, it says, Caleb was ready to take the land. And it says Caleb was 85 years old when they entered in, and he was strong as an ox. Strong. He was ready to take over the land. He was a man that had a spirit that God loved and said he's ready to take the land. And so I started, man, I started really, a lot of times my messages come out of me being troubled over scriptures. And so even Wednesday night I was telling them that really bothers me that everybody died in that generation. And the whole generation couldn't cross over, even Moses. And I wish Moses could have crossed over and I could have just said, well, that generation just, you know, was a bad generation. But since Moses was on the other side, I've got an issue here because I know Moses is a man of God. So God's trying to tell me something about that generation and the other generation. And so I started thinking about what is it about that generation? Well, obviously, that generation that died in the wilderness, they were, they, one of the things God disliked was their unbelief. Okay, they, they couldn't enter the promised land, number one, because their unbelief, they refused to believe God could wipe out the giants. They refused to believe God could wipe out the enemies. They refused to believe that God could care for them. And it said in their tents, they were saying, God hates us. And be careful. They were murmuring. They were complaining. I love the joke. I would have told that if you wouldn't have used that up. The joke about the complains all the time. And I thought, man, what is it about that generation? What is it about that generation? Why do they have to die in the wilderness? And then the next generation, they all enter. What are the odds that nearly the same amount of people all enter in, and the previous generation, nearly all of them die? All of them die. All of them live. All enter, none enter. There's such contrast there. There's something going on here that I don't understand. And so I began to think about what has to die in the wilderness and why God takes you to a wilderness. And then finally the light came on and the Holy Spirit began to tell me, Chad, that is your old man. Your old man will die in that wilderness and you will rise up in new life You will be born again. You won't think like the old man thinks. That old man will try to live again, all right? That old man will try to rise up in you. That man will not trust God. That man will say, God hates me. That man will say, God doesn't love me. That that man will complain. That man will murmur. That man will never never inherit a promise from God. How many know that to be true? And if I let that man inside of me rise up, I can't have it one single promise that God has. But there's a new man that rises up. The Bible says when we become born again, we become a new man. The Bible says, behold, all things become new. And the Bible begins to teach us how to destroy our old way of thinking. That old generation came to the wilderness and God says, trust me. And they did not know how to trust God. Why? Because they have been slaves their whole life. They had been slaves in Egypt. There are three places that you can live in life. One, and this is a, God literally put them as examples for our spiritual life. There was three places they had a choice to live. Number one was Egypt. And in Egypt, we are slaves. The Bible says that every man, every woman, every child entered this world slaves to sin. We enter this world not having a relationship with God. 
We enter into this world being hostile toward God. And so Egypt is this representation of a life that does not know God. This is the ungodly, the unregenerate, the ones that are not born again, the ones who don't live for God. They live for themselves. And by virtue of living by yourself, the Bible says you have to be on one side of the fence or the other. Either live for God or you live for the enemy. And so Egypt is a place where we have no ability to rise up and begin to worship God. We have no ability to speak to God. No, God doesn't have ability to speak to us, and God wants to know us. God wants to have a relationship with us. God wants to, us to trust Him. He wants to bless our lives. And so when we live in Egypt, we just have no ability whatsoever to know the blessing of God in our life. It's a terrible place to live. But then God does something. The Bible says that the example of the Red Sea, the example of Egypt, the example of all these things is an example of by God's power, he brought us out of slavery. By God's power, when they cross the Red Sea, it's a sample of what God does when a person is saved by the grace of God. When we come to God and say, God, I want to serve you now, God says, let's begin to go out now. And as they begin to come out of that lifestyle, as we begin to bow our knee, all God says is confess and I am faithful and just to forgive you. And that's the beginning, not the end. And God says, now I want you to begin to know me now. So he takes them to a mountain and he begins to reveal himself. He begins to tell them how people in my family live. People that belong to me, people who are in covenant, this is how they live. And God begins to reveal himself to us. How many have ever been there? Man, I gave my life to the Lord and I didn't even know what I was doing. I was like, I just decided one day myself, I'm going to hold your hand and never let go. That was my sinner's prayer. And now this day, I'm still doing that. And God began to reveal himself to me. He began to tell me how much he loved me. He began to um, teach me about himself. But here's one thing that was never an accident. God put a wilderness in between Egypt and the promised land. You hear me? A lot of preachers will not tell you this. They would say, name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. They'll teach you a prosperity message, listen to me, without a wilderness in between. They'll say that the blessing of God, which is the absolute truth, God wants to bless you in every area of your life. God wants you to be the greatest in his kingdom that you can possibly be. That means he wants to pour blessings on you. And the only way that God can safely bless your life is through that patch of wilderness. The patch of wilderness was put there by God. Do you think when God created the world, he could have created it without that patch of wilderness? But that patch of wilderness that they went through is what is modern day Saudi Arabia, okay? It's a desert wasteland. And so the children of Israel, here you are in your life. Let's apply it to ourselves. In our life, I'm saved now. I'm trusting God. I'm no longer in bondage. And now God takes me away from the mountain after one year of having God reveal himself to me. Now it's time for me to go to the wilderness, He said, you've been here long enough. You've been at this mountain long enough. It's time. 
And I can promise you today, as we're standing here, God wants to bless you from the wilt, from the mountain of Horeb. It makes a note in there in, in, in Deuteronomy 1, 1 and 2. It says, I think it's 1, 2, and 3. It says that there was a 11 day journey from Mount Horeb to the promised land through the wilderness. You say, well, how long is God going to lead me through the wilderness? It depends on how good of a learner you are. But God will take you through the wilderness. Do you know that when a, they, they do studies on people that have won the lottery. And these people that win the lottery, their life's a mess. Their life's terrible. They, they, they went from having no money to a lot of money. How many know to, 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 to have money in your life, uh, takes discipline to earn it? And if that money's given to you without the discipline, you don't have the tools to have that money. So that's why their life is wrecked. Because somebody comes and says, hey, buy me this, they buy it. Buy me this and make them feel guilty, they buy it. Buy me this and they feel guilty, they buy it. Hey, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to buy a pet bingle tiger because I've always wanted one. <laughs> and they buy outrageous things. And the next thing you know, they're impoverished again. This is just what happens in these studies. Very few lottery winners know how to handle having money. And this is what would happen if God took us from knowing Him to every blessing God wants to put in your life. If God takes you straight to the promised land without teaching you first, your life is going to be a wreck. Do you know how proud you'll be? Do you know how arrogant you'll be? Do you know how puffed up you'll be when you walk around this world who needs Jesus? I want you to imagine all the lost people around you, and you're blessed. Man, God just gave me everything I ever wanted. And here they are, lost. Needing God, you have no humility. You have no um, sense of what God did for you. You have no gratitude. It's just God gives me everything. I'm a spoiled little brat. And I don't care about anybody else but me, 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 me. And God doesn't want that. God loves you too much to spoil His children. So God takes them through a wilderness. The third place they can live is the promised land. And the mistake they made is the 11-day journey. They took themselves to the edge of the promised land, and they said, Hey, Moses, can we send out spies? And just so we can scout it out and see if it's maybe a place we want to go. Can I tell you today, you want to go there. I don't have to send out a spy. I don't have to send to my aunt. Moses said, well, that sounds good. Go on and do it. And here's what they found. They found two extremes. The one extreme is this place is really blessed. Um, there are, they were carrying poles of grapes that were giant. In fact, I was reading about this valley of Eskal where they sent the spies and they said, still today, there are clusters of grapes that are 10 to 12 pounds. Have you ever held a bowling ball that was 10 to 12 pounds? I want you to imagine having a cluster of grapes that are that heavy. And this area is just known still today for their vineyards of giant grapes. And these people came from an area in Egypt that had scrawny little grapes. And when they seen those, they were like, wow, this is a place of abundance. This place has everything we've ever wanted, and we don't even have to build the vineyards. We just have to walk in, and they're ours. God's already given it to us. He's already planned years and years and years ago, hundreds of years ago, that it's ours. So number one, they found out what God said was true. It is a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a land of blessing. 
But then you know what else they found? They found that these people were literally giants. They were 10 to 12 feet tall, some of them. That's probably 12 feet tall, isn't it? I could stand next to one of these giants and they would be near their head on that. And these giants were all in that area. In fact, if you look at the concentration of megaliths that are in the world, uh, megaliths are giant stones that nobody knows how they were moved. They were just so ridiculously giant and moved over such long areas, they don't know how a human could do it. And these megaliths are really concentrated around these areas where the Bible says there were giants. Their writings in those areas all talk about really large people. And not only was it a place of real blessing, but it was going to be a challenge to to take it. And because of the fact that it was going to be a challenge and it wasn't comfortable, they decided we would rather live in the wilderness. And so now I begin to look at us. How many do, how many of us like comfort? We like comfortable, don't we? Comfortable, in fact, I wrote in my notes here, comfortable is the enemy of progress. See, the wilderness is a funny place. A wilderness is a place where there are extremes. You know, in the daytime, it'll be really hot. In fact, I can remember an evangelist when I was, I was not saved and I was a teenager and he was terrible. I mean, he was the worst evangelist ever and I'm not going to say his name because I don't do that. But I would watch him every day and I wasn't saved, but all of me and my friends would watch him every day just because it was so preposterous the things he would say. And we thought he was funny. And so one day he said, he was trying to raise money for his ministry, of course. And he said, folks, I'm going out to the, to the wilderness. I'm going out to the desert. And I'm going to stay in this desert for 40 days and 40 nights until I raise such and such money. And we were like, oh boy, here we go. We all got our popcorn out. And he got in there the first night or two and he came back on the show and he said, I couldn't do it. I'm sorry. He goes, you don't know how cold it gets at night in the desert. And he talked about the extremes of living in the desert, and he said, I can't do it. And uh, But the desert is a place of extremes, and you say, well, what does that mean? That means you'll be way up, you'll be way down. It's a place of scarcity. You can't plant your roots in a wilderness. You can't grow very much in the wilderness. It's a scarce place. It's a place where you might run out of water, you might have water, you might get lucky. It's not a place that you want to dwell And you know, there are a lot of people in Christianity, in fact, I would say the majority, that are dwelling in the wilderness. They say, man, why am I so up? Why am I so down? Why am I emotioned so much to the left, so much to the right? Why do I uh, feel dry all the time? Why do I feel like God's not moving in my life? Why don't I have bread? And it's because you've stayed at a place for too long. You stayed in the wilderness for way too long, and God is crying out, You've stayed here too long. But there's a reason why God put you in the wilderness. And I wrote down a few reasons of why God put you in the wilderness. Number one thing I put is, God had to teach you not to be a slave anymore. God had to make that mentality of being a slave leave them in the wilderness. It had to die in the wilderness. Did you know that Moses was already in the wilderness for 40 years? He wasn't raised as a slave, wasn't raised like they were raised, 
But God had to take them to the wilderness to take that mentality out of them. It had to die. And you know from your birth alone, your natural birth, do you know that there are things in your mind that are contrary to living for God? Things that you've learned, things that you've acquired. Some, some people have learned how to lie to get ahead. That didn't come from God. That's a slave mentality. Some people have learned to live uh, less than everybody else. Some have learned to live with low self-esteem. I don't esteem myself very highly. Well, you're a child of God. You're a prince or a princess in God. And you don't know that because you're still a slave. You don't know that God can provide for you because the only one that provided for me was this system of slavery. So how can God provide for me when I've been under a taskmaster for all these years? Sin. Our sins are reflective of somebody who is a slave. When Satan says, do it, I do it. When Satan says, look at this, I look at this. When Satan says, walk over there, I walk over there. When Satan says, blow your top, I blow my top. I'm helpless. I'm under the hand of my taskmaster. And God says, no, you're not. And in the wilderness, I'm going to teach you how to lose that slave mentality. So God has a purpose for this wilderness. You have to go through it. The wilderness is also a place where the flesh dies. Literally, there can't be any part of strength in here. God will take the wilderness and listen to this. You... Plus God equals victory. How many like mathematic equations? This is a law of the universe. This is a mathematic equation that was true in ancient history and it's still true. Me plus God equals victory. Me plus God equals blessing. Me minus God equals defeat. Me minus God equals curse. God always puts his people in a position where... If I have God, I survive. If I don't have God, I fail. He put enemies in front of them so big that if they try to defeat them themselves, they failed every time. But if they had God with them, they won every time. Do you see the equation here? And God's trying to tell us, I'm going to put people in front of you in a wilderness. I'm going to put things in front of you, circumstances in front of you, that if you have me, you will succeed. If you don't have me, you will fail. If you have me, it will be blessed. If you don't have me, it will be cursed. And that's what you find out in a wilderness only. The wilderness, the elements are against you so much, the children of Israel were only three days, get this, three days past the Red Sea. And you say, and they walk and the first thing they find is they're thirsty. We don't have anything to drink. You know that God provided water many times. It says a rock followed them all over the wilderness. And that rock was Jesus, the Bible says. And everywhere they went, they had an abundant water supply But for periods of time, they would be thirsty. And God was trying to tell them in the wilderness, when you get thirsty, plus me, you don't have to worry. Minus me, worry. And he's trying to say, you can always trust me. He said, I took you, in the first part of the night, I took you like a child, and I carried you everywhere I wanted you to go. And then I laid you down when I got there. That's how he says it. 
It says, I followed you all over the wilderness, and before you went there, I tried to find a site so you could pitch your tent there. He said, I led you and I guided you. And you said, well, man, I can understand they're in the middle of the wilderness and they're really thirsty. No, you don't understand. This generation seen the plagues on Egypt. This generation seen a superpower forced to release a whole uh, nation of people out of slavery. They seen a Red Sea part when an enemy was about to destroy them. An entire sea parted and became dry and they crossed over. This nation had seen miraculous things like nobody has ever seen. And they're in the desert for three days and they can't handle not having water. And see, this is what God is calling. That old generation has to die. You say, well, did they? are we going to see those things happen so I can equally have faith? No, the next generation see nothing. Moses had to remind them what happened because they weren't there. The next generation did it without seeing it. The next generation trusted God. And God says, no, the old generation will die. Their physical strength, your bodies, your confidence in yourself is going to die in the wilderness. And what's going to be left? You say, but no, I can do it. I'm intelligent. You have no idea. You have no idea my intellect. My understanding of science is beyond most that you will know, Chad. God says it has to die in the wilderness. You say, but I'm strong. Whatever I go through, I'm so strong. You have no idea the strength that I have as a human being. I can accomplish anything with my strength. And you know what? In the wilderness, your strength will fail. Your strength will die. All of these things that we depend on when we begin to serve God and we're ready and he says it's time to pick up camp. It's time to move northward. All these things are going to die. And you say, well, why am I sick? Why did I lose my job? Why is my bank account gone empty? Why is this person constantly giving me trouble? Why is everybody saying negative things about me? And you might be in a wilderness. You might be in a place where God is preparing you to inherit blessing. You say, well, what happens when all that happens? Well, when I don't have something, I need God. You know, this whole world was constructed when we sinned and we fell short of the glory of God and we ran from his presence and we said, I'll live life without God. You know, we did that, right? In our lives, we do that sometimes. I'm going to leave God's presence and I'm going to do everything without God. That's the humanistic cry, without God. So God created a world where we have to have God. You ever think about it? We have a world where you have to have God. You say, no, I don't. You ever had cancer? It's out of my hands. It's out of my hands. Either God's got to heal me or there's got to be a better place for me because this is out of my hands. Have you ever had so much financial debt against you that you had nowhere you could turn, no resource whatsoever? Maybe you didn't have a job. Maybe you were going through depression. Maybe you were down and out. And there are so many things in life. Maybe you're going through grief. There's so many things in life you just can only say, God, I need you. God, I need you. And this wilderness experience is a constant, God, I need you. I need you. Help me. 
Help me. How many have ever, how many have ever found yourself crying that out? God, I need you. Help me. I need you. The wilderness is that. In fact, the wilderness, the Bible says, let me give you a few scriptures. Isaiah 35 says, the wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a rose. The desert is celebrating you. The redeemed is what that's talking about. It means the desert was a part in watching you grow. The desert's watching you bloom, and the desert is like celebrating because you finally have grown up. I shouldn't have said that now. That was beautiful Ty said that. The desert's applauding that you grew up in God. They were babes in the wilderness, and they entered in. Only the babes in the wilderness, the babies in the wilderness entered in. Only them. And the desert rejoiced for them. He clapped for them. Clapped. God said, my son has grown up. My daughter is ready to take the land. My daughter knows what I want him to know to take the land. Jeremiah 31 says, the, you will find favor. The people who survive, they will find favor in the wilderness. How many of you know you find God's favor in the wilderness? I don't know where else you would find that at. This is a place where God puts everything against you, and all you can do is say, God, I trust you. In fact, two things will happen in the desert. You will only be flesh, and your faith will die there, or the flesh will all fall off, and you will rise up in the spirit of promise. That's what happens. In fact, 2 Corinthians says that there were many... In fact, I can't find it. It's uh, chapter 11. It says there were many that died in the wilderness. So your faith will either die in the wilderness, or you will mature to the person that God wants you to be and take the promises. But you have to do it through the wilderness. Let me give you another thing in the wilderness. Wilderness is where you learn to remember God. Remember in Proverbs when it said, Don't make me rich where I forget about God and don't make me so poor that I have to still to feed myself. Well, these people in the wilderness, God was trying to avoid them forgetting him. But they kept forgetting him. Remember the book of Deuteronomy is a book of remembrance. Moses is trying to make sure they remember God because God delivers them through the Red Sea, a miraculous miracle, and then they turn right around and say, God hates us. God won't give us water. God won't give us food. God won't provide this. God won't provide that. God would do a miracle, a miracle, another miracle, another miracle, another miracle, another miracle, another miracle, more miracles than any people have ever seen, and they would always say, God hates us, and they would complain, and they'd say, let's go back to Egypt. And before we say, oh, they're terrible people, this is the man inside of us or the woman inside of us that has to die. We know that's true. We forget about God. You say, well, not me. Well, you might not be one of them. But we forget how much God has done for us. You know, God has been so good to us that when we go through something, we're just like them if we're not careful. We complain about God. We complain about God's leaders. We complain about church. We complain about all these people and say, it's the man of God's fault. That's what they did. It's the man of God's fault. It's the man of God's fault. Well, maybe it's because you don't appreciate anything God's done for you. 
I didn't make you do that. I didn't make you do that. When you come into this house, it shouldn't matter whether I'm standing here or not. You should be grateful that God has been there all the way. And in the wilderness, we learn to remember God. We learn to have a gratitude for God. And the old generation that died could never do that. From the beginning to the end, they never could do that. The new generation, they did. They walked right into the land of promise and never seen a miracle. They walked right into a battle with giants before they even crossed the promised land. They'd already defeated several giants and then walked right into the promised land. And God's trying to tell us something. That new man doesn't have to be like the old man. That new man can be crucified and we can walk in promise. We can walk in victory. You say, man, I've been depressed my whole life. The new man is not depressed. You said, I've not been able to my whole life. I haven't had the confidence. The new man can have confidence. The new man believes, the new man trusts, the new man moves forward. The new man says, whatever is at my disposal, I will use to beat this giant. And the new man says, I can, no matter what the obstacle is. Some of you have been conditioned with that slave mentality to say, I can't do it. I can't do it. The enemy's defeated me my whole life. I cannot cross over. You don't understand. I've been a slave my whole life. And God says, let the man die and walk in promise. Walk in confidence in God. But I've never been strong enough. I don't need you to be strong. I'm strong. Die in the wilderness and move forward. And God will put us through the wilderness until we learn that the old man just has to die. And we got to rise up in newness. we got to rise up with a new spirit. Not the old spirit. Not the one I was born in. Not the one that the enemy beat down. Not the one that the enemy had under slavery. But the new one that says, I can. Praise God. Another thing about the wilderness. It'll challenge your faithfulness. Like there are times in the wilderness you just have to hold on to God because there's nothing else. I've heard people say, well, it's all out of the doctor's hands now. All I can do is pray. Something wrong with that. The best thing you could have done in the beginning was pray, but sometimes we're put in a position where all I can do is pray. And the wilderness will regularly take you to a place where all you can do is pray because praying was the best thing in the beginning. But we've been so conditioned, we don't think prayer is the first choice. We think it's the last choice. All hope is gone. Let's pray. Pastor, all hope's gone. Will you pray for me? Well, at what point did you decide to pray after all the hope left? I hoped in the doctors. I hoped in the money. I hoped in my strength. I hoped in all the other things. Now, let's pray. And the wilderness will take you to a place where our first choice is prayer. Not our last choice, but our first choice. The wilderness is the only place I know of that can do that. Uh, do you know that uh, when Elijah ran from Jezebel for his life, do you know where he ran? Horeb. The exact place where the children of Israel are at, and he's hiding there on this mountain that God uh, gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. He's hiding there, and all he had was God. All he had was God's faithfulness. All he had, all he could do in his darkest hour was hold on to God in the wilderness. That's all that he could do. So what keeps us 
Five minutes, can I do it? What keeps us from going to the wilderness? What keeps us from going to the wilderness? I'm going to show you what they did. This has nothing to do with you guys, all right? They would go around the mountain, okay? I've seen the west side of it, the south side of it, the north side of it, the east side of it. I know every valley, I know every gorge, I know every tree. Great. Next year, let's go around it again. Okay, there's the tree, tree, gorge, valley, mountain. Okay, let's go around it one more time. All right, same tree, same valley, same gorge. Do you know that church life can become a routine? It's like I'm not taking any new ground. No, that's my personality. That's just how I am. You know, that's just how I am. I'm not, I'm not getting any better in God. I'm not taking any ground that the enemy has on me. I'm not getting any better in the area of anger. I'm not getting any better in the area of sexual purity. Don't say that on Sunday morning. Mm. I'm not loving my wife. I'm not loving my kids any better. I'm not getting closer to God. I'm walking around this mountain over and over. And it becomes a routine. Do you know what's known for having a routine? Sheep. I'm back on the sheep again. Sheep are known as animals that dig ruts. And they don't dig. They go to the water bowl. They go back. They go over here, they come right back. They take the same path. You know that there are animals in my neighborhood that go across the bean field in the exact path. They never take another path. In fact, you can watch them go all the way over to my neighbor's house, over 20 acres, and they'll go that same path every single day. And you wear that path out, and you wear that path out, and you wear that path out. It's like church, worship, pray, church, worship, pray. But we're not taking new ground. We're comfortable. We're happy. But God says, no, I'm building you up to take the ground, to take the promised land. Every promise that I've given you in the Word, you say, well, I tried. I don't get those promises. Did you name it and claim it? Did you blab it and grab it? Did you ever think that maybe you had some false doctrine that you were chasing after? Because in order to get to the promised land, let me clear it up for you if they said it wrong. In order to get to the promised land, you have to go through a challenge. You have to go through giants. And you were made to defeat giants. You were born like Samson. He's an example of us. We were born to wipe out every giant. But me plus God equals victory. Me minus God, the giant will crush me every time. So unless you leave that strength in the wilderness of your own, unless you leave your own strength in the wilderness, how's God going to ever help you progress? Unless you go through something with God, unless you struggle through something and still trust God, how's He ever going to humble you? How's He ever going to make you trust Him? How's He ever going to make you pray first and not last? you got to trust God through something. you got to hold on to God when He's not doing anything. You say, well, I prayed and he didn't do anything. Pray a little longer. Say, I prayed and he didn't do anything. Fast a little bit. I prayed and I fasted and he's still not doing anything. Wait. How long? I don't know. 
You're in the wilderness. Wilderness is a great place. One day the wilderness is going to clap for you. Say, look, he's mature. You know, everything that you have to give up, here's what the wilderness will do to mature you. Everything you give up gives way to something better. In fact, one thing I love about being a parent, some people say, I love when they're one and they're helpless. I love when they're under one years old and they're helpless and you get to hold them and do everything with them. I love them when they're one and they start pulling up on them. I love them when they're two and they're running around and everything. I love them when they're five and there's all these different ages. And I, I decided after six children, here's what I think. I love every age. Because when they decide to quit crawling, they've got to put that away. And the child's like, I don't want to quit crawling. I don't want to quit crawling. I love crawling. Some of them are fast crawlers. Real fast. But when I know when they give up crawling, they pick up walking. So I'm happy that they gave up the old thing and got the new thing. When they quit jabbering, which is great, every once in a while you'll get a dada out of them if you really practice hard when mom's not looking. All right? But I know whenever they quit jabbering, they're going to speak to me in intelligent language. I love that. You know, you say, well, they're not kids anymore. Now they're adults. Well, man, I love to see what they're doing. They're raising a family. They have a job. Every age gives way to something new, and that's what God's going to do in the wilderness. You say, well, I don't want to give up that attitude. Well, I'm excited to see you give up the attitude because I want to see what new thing comes when you give up the old thing. And God loves the wilderness because He loves to see His children grow. He loves to see Him give up old things and take on new things. And you know what He really likes? He likes to see you mature enough that you can defeat giants. He likes to see you strong enough in the wilderness that when I come out of the wilderness... I can beat a giant. Because those giants right now, they're looming over your nation. Those giants are looming over your family. Those giants are looming over your life. And I'm going to close with this. It's something I found real interesting. I've skipped over a lot, though. Oh, but let me finish this. The rut. You know that sheep will do that rut until it's so deep that they begin to get bogged down by it and they can't hardly even walk? Because their legs are so short. And how many know that your life can get bogged down like that? You can be in a routine of church and you say, man, I'm tired of church. Well, get out of the rut. Rut is what you have in a driveway when you always drive down the same path every time. You say, well, man, I'm tired of church. The problem is you're in a rut. You're in a sheep rut. You're walking, same thing, over and over, same thing, over and over. I want to challenge. God, let me put this into practice. Can I really change? Can you really change me? Can you really mature me? Can I really quit having anxiety? Can I really quit having fear? Can I quit really having living in poverty from bad financial decisions? You say, that's part of the gospel. Yeah, that's part of the promises. God wants to bless you in every area of your life, but man, we get in a rut. I'm going to keep everything that I have, and it just starts accumulating on you. And finally, that little sheep, they say they'll actually break their legs. The weight of all that stuff from being in the rut gets on their, on their, um, oh, their woolen, whatever we call it. But they just get so full of dirt that it, they can actually break a leg. They can't walk. Boy, that's spiritual, isn't it? I, I came across a study I thought was really interesting, and, and I don't, I would love to go back and spend some time studying their, um, 
studying their um, <clears throat> their original Hebrew word studies, but they're close enough I can go on and go with it. But that, they took Deuteronomy chapter 7, and I just ran out of time, honestly, but they're close enough to what I would have done anyway. But I'm going to go on and read it because I find it really interesting. But Deuteronomy 7 says, When the Lord your God will bring you to the land you are entering to possess, he'll drive out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations that are larger and stronger than you, the Lord is going to drive out in front of you. And I've always read that, and I just kind of was like, I, 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 I. It's just all ites. I didn't, they never meant anything to me. So I started looking, and somebody said, seven giants that you will drive out, and they did a word study on each one of them. I love this. Jebusites, they're in your land right now. His name means thresher. Threshing of the grain, the beating down of the grain, which we are stomping, crushing underfoot. That's a giant that we're going to overcome and possess the land God promises. How many of you know that that threshing spirit, that crushing spirit, is that humiliating spirit of the enemy that says, I will crush you. I will put you down. I'll make you feel less than everybody else. I'll knock you down. I'll beat you down. How many have ever had a loss of faith because you thought you were worthless? This is a giant that we're going to overcome. That new man's going to rise up and say, I will never sit under Jebusites again. And they got in the land and God said, I'm going to keep you free from them. Jebusite, isn't that cool? Jebusite is a thresher. And like I said, don't come against me because I didn't confirm all the studies. But Gergesite, they're the dwellers of the clay. These are the ones that dwell in a, in a gray area, it says. It says this is compromise. The Gergesites symbolize compromise. How many know that one thing that will keep you out of the land is compromise? Revelation 3.15 says, I know your works, that you're neither hot or cold. How many know we can live in a wilderness our entire life of compromise and never enter into what God has for us? Amen. Canaanite. Their name literally meant merchants, great merchants, merchants all over the world. This is the giant of materialism. I know a lot of people that have been listening to televangelists. And they're chasing the almighty presence of materialism. He says, man, you're going to get a new car. You're going to have ten of them. You're going to get a new house, and it's going to be the biggest. You're going to have all these things that God's going to bless you with, and materialism will keep you out of the land as fast as anything else will keep you out of the land. Abraham, Moses, all these great men of God were chasing a city whose builder and maker was God. Their blessing was God. Their blessing was to know God. Their blessing was to receive the blessings that God gave them. And yes, God wanted to bless them abundantly, financially. God wanted to prosper them. God wanted to take care of them. But God's not promising you Cadillacs, okay? God's promising you the best blessings in the world. And that's blessings of a family who loves God. Blessings of a family that has plenty. Blessings of, of God that can't be, that won't rust and won't corrupt in this world. But blessings that are real, God wants to pour out in your life. So materialism is a giant. Hittites, their name meant fear, 
terror, dread, or fear. How many know that there's giants in the land of intimidation? Some of you say, well, I can't serve the Lord because if I go back to my friends or I go back to work and I'm living for God, then then I'll be too embarrassed. And God says, no, you're going to overtake the enemy of fear. How many have ever felt this one? Intimidation, fear, dread. An enemy wants to intimidate you, and God says, I've given that into your hand. We'll go quickly here. Parasite. This is, means the people that lived in small villages that were open and unwalled. This is the person who lives a life and has no restraint on anything they do. They have no restraint on their behavior. They have no restraint on what they watch. They have no restraint on what they do. This is the people of small dreams. This is the people that don't have big dreams. People have never learned how to dream big in God. The parasites are the people that can't think big enough to enter the promised land. They're small. Small Small-minded, small-thinking, unprotected. Number six, the Amorites means pride and rebellion, proud boasting, bitter rebels, renowned mountainous large people who self-exalt their highlanders. So you're saying that I can almost be too good to enter the promised land, too good to trust God. Yeah, I want to be uh, one of those people that looks down on people. And God said, no, that's going to keep you out of the promised land. Hivites were people that would lie openly, very independent. Uh, they say this is a spirit of humanism. This is a spirit that says uh, they'll believe a lie that I can do it on my own. I can do it independently. I can do it without God. And that's a giant that will keep you out of the promised land. Praise the Lord. Stand with me today. I'm sorry. Sure. Most of my life, I've walked in fear and distrust of God. And He's worked on me my entire 64 years of life. A few weeks ago, I got to the point where I said, God, I don't know what to pray or how to pray anymore. And like it was a bad thing, I said, all I have now is you, Lord. And all he said to me was, I am enough. And he is. Whatever you're going through, he is enough. And he showed me something a few weeks ago the first time I preached. If you want to reach victory, if you need to make a decision, all you have to do before you make that decision is ask, is this God or is this not God? He will carry you through. He is enough. Praise God. If you would close your eyes and bow your heads, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord God, I pray that, um, Lord, you would speak to your people, Lord God, that you would uh, help them, Lord. Father, maybe they're in Egypt, Lord, and they've never been released from the bondage, Lord, that keeps us away from you. Lord, maybe they've never given their heart to the Lord. Lord, maybe they've never committed their lives to you, Lord God. Today, I pray against that spirit of bondage, Lord God. Father, I pray for a release today, Lord God, that they'd be able to have the strength and the courage to live for you and only you, Lord God. Lord, I pray for those who have been in the wilderness and who are in the wilderness and those who are heading to the wilderness, Lord God. We're all called to go to that place where we're to trust God through everything. Father, right now I pray for strength, Lord God, awareness, Lord God, Father, wisdom, In the midst of it, Lord God, and I pray for maturity, Lord. 
Father, that you would grow your people today. Strengthen them in the wilderness. Let them know what you're doing to them, Lord. Lord, let them know what you're building in them, Lord. God, know that, let them know their future and the promises that you have, what you're making them to be, Lord God. Father, and I pray for those who are walking in the land, Lord God. Father, walking in the promises. Oh, Father, I pray that you would uh, take the land and divide it, conquer it, Lord God. Father, that we would win the loss, Lord God, that we would win our families. Father, that we'd walk in your blessing and not turn to the left or to the right, Lord God. Bless this church. Right now, as we have our eyes closed, I just want to ask you. Let's just turn it down a little more. The lights. No, the lights, I'm sorry. I just want to ask you today. Well, eyes are closed. Don't, don't look around. I've never given my heart to the Lord, but I want to today. Is there anybody like that? A few minutes here, I want to pray with you this morning. I've never given my heart to the Lord. I'm away from God. Uh, the Bible just calls us godly or ungodly. We have God in our life or we don't. That's the only separation of people. And you don't right now have a relationship with God and you know it. If that's you this morning, I want to pray with you. Just raise your hand. If that's you this morning, just let me see your hand. Nobody's looking around. I'm going to say a prayer together with everybody. Anybody else this morning? I see that hand. Anybody else? I've never given my heart to the Lord, and this morning I want to do it. This morning I want to do it. Anybody here? Anybody else? Just a few more minutes. This is a divine appointment. You only have a few of these in your life. The invitation to come to the Lord. Anybody else? I've never given my heart to the Lord. Let me ask you this. You're in a wilderness. You said, man, I didn't know why that happened in my life. I didn't know why I was going through that. I felt so alone, but isolated. I felt like I had a, a, a uh, I felt like I had a crisis of faith is what I would call it. A crisis of my faith. I don't know if I could keep believing what I'm going through. You're in the wilderness and God is proving you. God is allowing your faith to grow, allowing your dependence in him to grow. That's you today. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you today. You don't have to come up. Just raise your hand. I'm going through that. I've been through that. Some of you will go through that. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's pray together for these hands. I want you guys to pray this with me today. I had some hands and I just want you to, this is a prayer of faith that says, God, I'm going to trust you for the rest of my life. I'm going to put my hand in yours and I'm never going to let go. Just say, Lord Jesus, today I give you my life. I trust you and only you. Forgive me of all my sins and my rebellion and pour out your Holy Spirit in my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise God. God has released you from bondage. The Lord says if you ask, He's faithful to forgive you and and, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. By faith we enter in. That's you today. We're just going to begin to worship. If you need prayer, I'm going to leave the altar open. We're just going to worship for a few minutes here. You're dismissed if you need to go. Praise God. Praise the Lord as we go to the Lord in prayer. And we're going to close here. Prayer. Remember, it was difficult for these people. Moses was a shepherd. Moses led them everywhere. 
led them like little children. But then God said, hey, Moses, hand it to Joshua. Because now they're ready. They're ready to take the land. Joshua loved God's presence, loved being in God's presence. But Joshua may have been the greatest military leader that ever lived. They were going to go from a wilderness where they were concentrated and had no fruitfulness, no way to plan or live, to going into a land that had everything already built, and they spread out and had their own place. That fruitfulness, that blessing, it was to walk into the land and spread out and begin to be fruitful. And God's calling this church. Jesus is in this house saying the wilderness meant something. We are thankful that the wilderness means something. God says, don't be afraid. Move forward. I've made you for this day. I've made you defeat giants. I'm made to move forward here. I'm going to hand it off from Moses to Yeshua. Joshua is the exact name of Jesus. Joshua began to lead the people, and now they weren't together under Moses. Now they were spread out, and that's what he did with his spirit. He put it upon every man spread out and preached the gospel. Let everybody see the blessing of God upon you. I've got to take you through a wilderness because I want God to move mightily in your life so people can see you being blessed. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, right now, I pray that blessing upon your people, Lord. Oh, Father, that they would march forward and not fear, not be afraid. Father, not look back in bitterness at a wilderness, Lord God, but rejoice in a wilderness, Lord God, because it prepared me for this. Bless your people. Put your spirit upon them, Lord God. Accomplish what this word was meant to accomplish, Lord. In your name we pray. Everybody said, Amen.